Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast out every Friday, even over the summer holidays, that dives into the progressive campaign issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And as you know, this is the final of our one, two, three, four uh, summer end-of-year annual recaps. Uh, as you know, right at the start of December, we did one, which was our federal uh, politics recap with Annika Wells and Josh Burns. If you haven't, haven't listened to that one, go check that one out. We recap federal politics for 2022. We did our international uh, politics and affairs recap for 2022 with David Kitching. And we did our state uh, politics annual recap with uh, the wonderful uh, and honourable Harriet Ching, which um, Harriet was, I think I've done it now with Harriet for four or five years. It's been so much fun. We love that episode. That's the very last one we do before I break for Christmas. Uh, but, and this is the very, very last one of, of that series. And this is one on pop culture. We're going to be joined by our socially democratic pop culture correspondent, Tess Farrell. And we're going to just review some of the TV shows, series and films that came out in 2022. If you haven't seen them, maybe whilst you're on your break, you should sit down and watch them. And we'll give you some recos for some other shows as well. So it's a pretty chilled out kind of episode, nothing too serious. Um, whilst you're all on a break. And then obviously, um, as we kick off into 2023, we'll get back into the nitty gritty of politics and campaigns and organising. Uh, but we thought we could just do one for you guys just to take it easy. Um, if you like the episode, don't forget to give us uh, five stars on Apple Podcast and on Spotify when you're done listening to the episode, uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher or whatever your favourite podcast app is. And don't forget to follow Dunn Street on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Okay, let's get to today's episode. Okay, we're taping this one on a Wednesday afternoon on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. And uh, as we have been, as you would have been listening over the last month, we've basically been wrapping up the year 2022. We've done a uh, federal politics year in re- review. We've done a Victorian state politics year in review. We've done a international politics and affairs year in review. And now you're all on your summer holidays. So we just thought we would just, you know, take it easy for a bit and do a pop culture year in review, which we do every year. And every year I get on my favorite pop culture correspondent for Social Democratic, Tess Farrell. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to recap pop culture in 2022 i binge watched a lot this year well i uh the last time you were on the show was uh we recorded it and published it straight after we did our interview with um the premier daniel andrews and that episode that premier daniel andrews episode got a lot of uh traction because it got written about in the media and then all the journalists complained about it on twitter And so the next show was you. So you're basically like going on after the Beatles because that was our biggest listened to episode. And then your episode was our second biggest listened to episode of that moment in time. So everyone knows you. You're famous now, Tess. Remember that. Well, that's hilarious. And then did it drop off after that when they, after my episode? (laughs) (laughs) No, it it, looked to be fair, it held up. And then we, um, and then we uh, went into the next year and we did our, so which was this year, we did our May election lead up and we, grew our audience again and became bigger. So you're not our second biggest listen to episode of all time now, but you are, are in the top 10 because people, people love pop culture. 
I'm happy to be in the top 10 and I'm happy that Dunn Street is growing and having I what I assume from what I can see on the socials a really, really good year in 2022. You've been a busy, a busy man. Uh, we, we have been. It's been a lot of fun. Um, so another thing just to let our listeners know, because um, I was going to wish you Happy New Year because this episode is going up, uh, our first episode of the new year. But you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. It's actually November 30 when we recorded this episode. So if anything happens between November 30 and say the 2nd or 3rd of January and we've just not name-checked it or made reference to it like, I don't know, North Korea blew up Mars or something like that because that's definitely on the bingo card. Um, We don't know that that happened because it hasn't happened yet. Mm. Or any TV or pressing movie news. We don't know that either. Correct. So what we are going to do though, like we do every year, is we're going to uh, review a couple of shows, TV series and a film for our wonderful, loyal, dedicated listeners to the podcast. Uh, if you're sitting on the beach or if you're you know, going on a long drive to go somewhere or maybe you've got a flight going somewhere and you just kind of want to just chill out and not listen to anything overly political but listen to two political friends talk about pop culture, then this is the episode for you because we're just going to review a couple of shows that maybe you just want to binge watch whilst you're down in Robe or something. I don't know where you go these days, but um, down at or Victorians mainly go to Noosa, don't they? That's where they all go to. They go to Noosa. I think so. I think Noosa is where it's at. Robe is very Victorian slash South Australian. It Obviously, is, my kind of vibe. Noosa would be good too. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. So... Let's just dive in. We're going to review two TV series from 2022 and we're going to review one film. Uh, The rules are no spoilers, but the structure of our reviews has not changed because we are very consistent kind of human beings. So we normally, uh, someone leads off to talk a bit about, I guess, the, the background to the show, the plot, the characters, the strengths of the show, the weakness of the show, some other interesting tidbits um, and then we always try and see if we can work in who's the social democrat of the episode of the show or, or the film. Not easy to do. Bit of a challenge today as well, actually. But that's kind of how we run it. And Tess, you want to kick it off today? So we're going to do three, two series. We're going to do uh, Dope Sick and Dropout, the Dropout, and then we're going to do Maverick. And then at the end, Tess is going to give you some recommendations of other TV series that we haven't covered or shows we haven't covered that you should check out over the summer break. So Tess, over to you. Great. So I love how we've started with like it's an easy, cruisy summer holiday vibe. And my show, my lead show for today and probably of the year is not light, not lighthearted. It is very dark. Um, The first TV show we're going to talk about is Dope Sick. So Dope Sick is based around America's struggle with opioid addiction all across the US, um, both on like an individual level and all the families that are affected by it and then the conflicts of interest for Purdue Pharma who pushed out the drug um, and the various government agencies and the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA and the US Department of Justice and the legal case against Purdue Pharma um, when they developed and tested and marketed OxyContin, um, which is a very, very bad and highly addictive drug. I feel like I'm going to get caught in a technicality. This wasn't released in 2022, but it was released in late 2021, so I'm going to roll with it. It was a slow burn for me. It wasn't something that hit the headlines, which I can't believe because it is an amazing television show. It's just one-off limited series. You can watch it on Disney in Australia and Hulu in the US. 
It's eight episodes long and they're long, I think almost like full hour episodes. So it's pretty heavy going. Um, and you've seen it, Stephen? I, ha- I have seen it. Um, and I do, it's funny, I, um, well, you won't, be, you won't be surprised to know this, but others will. Because of my love of my Boston and New England sports teams, I subscribe to the Boston Globe. And one of the communities that were heavily impacted by um, Purdue Farmers' um, campaign, essentially, to sell this drug was in some of these communities in uh, parts of New England where there's sort of mining and working class communities like in Maine and in New Hampshire and Vermont. So it was written a lot about in the Boston Globe when it started to break. In fact, a couple of journalists in there in the sort of, you know, the spotlight team actually started to really write about what exactly was going on in the early days. Um, so I kind of did get a bit of, um, it kind of came <laughs> from me reading between articles about the Red Sox and the Celtics. It did sort of come into my orbit and I was reading about this going, what is this Oxycontin stuff? This is, uh, this is nuts. But anyway, please continue. Well, I, this was, obviously I kind of read headlines about the opioid crisis, right? And, you know, being which way we lean politically, you know, sceptical of Big Pharma and I just didn't realise how serious the opioid crisis was in the US and and the story of how it came to be, right? Um, So the show is actually based on a non-fiction book. It's called Dope Sick, Dealers, Doctors and the Drug Company that Addicted America and it's by Beth Macy. So OxyContin is a highly addictive drug, an opioid. um, It's pretty much like prescribed heroin. Um, And it somehow got approval from the FDA to be prescribed by doctors for less serious injuries. Like normally you'd get this kind of drug you know, administered in the hospital. Um, but it was marketed as non-addictive. So the show covers sort of late 90s when the drug was being developed to the early 2000s when um, pretty much it was rolled out and you see the sales perspective and the big sales push from Purdue Pharma and then the impact on American communities and all the health, social and legal consequences of OxyContin being so addictive. Um, it does chop and change in the timeline between sort of late 90s um, and sort of mid 2000s. So it can be a little bit confusing. So it's definitely a phone down kind of watch. But it will grip you from right from the beginning. It will really, really grip you. Um, and the characters in this are amazing. So the way the story is told is through some central characters, which is there's quite a few. So you have Michael Stolberg, I probably pronounced that wrong, as Richard Sackler. So the Sackler family own Purdue Pharma. They pushed out the drug onto the market. They're a huge, extremely rich American family. Um, They have wings named after them in fancy art galleries and museums. Um, And Richard Sackler is the main one in the family who's responsible for the pushing out of this drug. Um, And Michael Keaton, who's Dr. Samuel Phoenix. He's the family-friendly, salt of the earth, everyone knows who he is, genuinely good doctor who works um, as a local GP in a small mining town. I'm pretty sure it's in Virginia, West Virginia. Um, Keaton won an Emmy and a Golden Globe for this performance and he really did deserve it. He was amazing. I mean, I just, I mean, I've always liked Michael Keating in in all the various roles he's played. Uh, But I just remember at the end of that, I I just said to myself, God, this guy can act. Like, this guy is so good. He was phenomenal. I was just so captivated by him. And his story is, without saying any spoilers, is so interesting. Yeah. What he overcame um, 
was incredible. Um, so you have the local doctor in the small mining town and then you've got Will Poulter who plays Billy Cutler. He's the sales rep for Purdue Pharma who convinces Keaton's character to prescribe Oxycontin and in this just disgusting way, invites him to all these free conferences, wins over all the receptionists in the doctor's offices to get in there. Um, it's just the biggest display of, sort of corporate greed you can imagine. Even his story arc is interesting as well, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, in, it's important that, uh, and I'm sure you'll talk more about the plot in a moment, but his story arc is important for us as the viewers to just sort of see this journey that they go through. It's like a moral yeah. kind of arc, isn't it? Yeah, well, everyone has pretty, I mean, it's really interesting right from the beginning. You're like, what is, you know the ending, you know how bad it got, but it's so interesting to see it from an individual perspective and just how awful some of the people who, you know, pushed out the drug, who prescribed it, really felt. Um, the other main characters are Caitlin Deva, who's a great young actress. She's in Booksmart, Ticket to Par Paradise, and Unbelievable, which was a really good series with Tony Collette. Um, she plays Betsy, so she's a young woman and she works in the mining town um, where Michael Keaton's character works. And she gets an injury in um, in the mine one day and she gets prescribed OxyContin and then she becomes extremely ridiculous, ridiculous, addicted. And it really, it ruins her life. And she had these grand plans to get out of the small town that she grew up in and it completely ruins her life. Um, then from sort of more of a government legal perspective, you've got Peter Sarsgaard as Rick Mountcastle, who's actually a real character. He's the real prosecutor who went after Purdue Farmer in this case, and then Rosario Dawson as Bridget Meyer, she's a fictional character, but she's the DEA agent. So these are the main characters. You get to see the crisis play out right from the beginning from each perspective. You've got the Sackler family pushing OxyContin out there. You've got the sales rep, rep getting it out to doctors, and then the everyday Americans who have prescribed it, and the government agencies just trying to get people to pay attention to a really terrible unfolding crisis. And um, i got to tell you, the ending is like, it's not great. Mm. It didn't leave me feeling um, particularly hopeful. Um, but I think the thing that I found so good about it is it brought, brought a very dense subject matter with many moving parts. Um, to life and displayed the human element of it. Like you can read all the articles and all the statistics that you want. But um, for me, not really knowing about it at all, like I didn't even know who Purdue Farmer were um, before I started watching this. Um, you know, now I know all about it. I got into a very deep Wikipedia I bet. hole. We've discussed this before, isn't it? Because you do that whilst you watch the show. I'm wondering if you did that in this instance. Oh, for sure. I'm pretty sure I got my laptop out at this point because I needed to be consuming everything at the same time. Um, I did have to take a break from watching it. It wasn't one that I could watch all day or I just would feel mm. really down. So that that's one of the weaknesses that I found in the TV series. It is not uplifting. But, um, yeah, I learned so much about it and I just have so many questions. So many questions. Such as? 
such as how did the FDA approve the special label which said it was less addictive than other opioids? How, I mean, one of the key plot lines is just around how Purdue Pharma, as you mentioned before, specifically went after mining, small mining communities in places like Kentucky, West Virginia, because they knew those workers get injured, they, they knew they have chronic pain and they would be the ones to take the drugs and need the relief and they were the ones that ended up being addicted and it just destroyed those communities. Um, so there's that really awful social aspect but also the sort of marketing and advertising part, all the tricks that Purdue Pharma used to get this off the ground and how none of it was really verified. The main thing that they talk about um, when they were pushing it out to GPs, they, you know, they cited that it was, you know, less than 1% of people get addicted to it, just blatantly was based on nothing. So it was horrific. What did you think? I thought it was in a, an amazing series. Um, similar to you, um, found it heavy going. Um, and I know I've spoken to other people who have said that they needed a break from it as well. Um, uh, without saying I found it addictive, uh, I found it really uh, like I just wanted to, I kind of wanted to get to the end because I wanted justice. So I wanted to keep on watching. Um, but obviously, as you said, there isn't a lot of hope in this series, but there are glimmers of hope. You know, the Michael Keating character uh, is one of them in some respects. Um but uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm just going to fix my sound here because it's a little bit funny. Wait a sec. Um, I, uh, yeah, I found it an incredibly uh, uh, difficult series to watch, but also at the same time I needed to watch it. And it kind of, uh, to your point, having read about it in the papers and stuff, just bringing it to life with narrative, with the stories of communities specific characters but also even then sort of periphery stuff as well like you know folks trying to break in to steal um the, you know, the oxycontin and and whatnot from pharmacies and how the, the the trickle effect that it has into communities was um interesting and depressing yep the crime stuff is amazing it's when sort of the prosecutor and the da are trying to get them to focus on it you know there's a reason why all this is happening why the crime rates going up and it just really demonstrates how everything is connected. Um, and it was really sad to see. And you're right, the three, it is three sort of narratives running simultaneously, isn't it? There's the internals that's going on within the Stackler family because Richard isn't really regarded as, there's a, you can clearly see there's a division within the family. There's two sort of factions. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he kind of rises to prominence off the back of this campaign around OxyContin and then just brings in billions of dollars for the family. So his power in increases over the course of the, of the series. There's that, there's the challenges that the, the, the law and the justice department are having in this space. Then there's the actual work of the folks who are out there selling it. And actually probably fourth and then there's the, then there's the communities, isn't there? Um, mm. And sometimes TV series is like one of the criticisms I have, I think of um, the Game of Thrones series there were so many different characters and plot lines to follow that, you know, that what they needed to get into, into a 50 minute episode wasn't enough. You weren't getting satisfied, but with this, even though there were four plot lines, it had good pacing 
Um, and uh, and they, you know, it interweaved quite well. It was, I thought it was well written um, as well um, to, co- as you said, cover off what can be a reasonably complex kind of subject. Yeah, it was really well written. It was actually created, written and directed by the same guy, Danny Strong, who I've known him from the Gilmore Girls <laughs> and Buffy. So he's kind of more of a kid more on the comedic side and he also did Empire which I know has a lot of fans out there but I didn't watch that. Bit, bit of a uh, change of scenery as well from the Gilmore Girl, Girls to uh, Dope Sick. 100%. You definitely need to watch a comedy after you finish watching Dope Sick that's for sure. Yeah what I often sort of back end I'd watch Dope Sick and then an episode of The Office and then <laughs> kind of rotate to keep my, um, I don't know, serotonin levels feeling okay. Did you, um, have you, you've done strengths, did you do weaknesses? Yeah, my weak, the weaknesses for the show was really, I did chop and change a bit so you had to really focus on the timeline and who was who and I don't think it was the biggest downfall because I think we needed to explore all of those four different areas but um if you can't you weren't watching you're like oh we've changed decades here Mm. um and then yeah just the darkness (laughs) was uh very uh very heavy going but I'm really glad I watched it I learned so much uh any uh what are your favorite lines from the show this is the line that gripped me right from the beginning. It's right in the first episode. It's from Michael Keaton's character and he's facing a jury. So, you know, things have ended badly. And he it really sets the scene for the whole TV show. Um, obviously, like a, a lawyer, is he's on stand and a lawyer is asking him, he says, Dr. Phoenix did more than 1% of your patients become addicted to OxyContin and... Michael Keaton's character looks at the screen and he just says, I can't believe how many of them are dead now. Mm. And it's just tragic. Um, Michael Keaton, yeah, he won an Emmy, a Golden Globe and a SAG. And at the SAG Awards, he dedicated dedicated that award to his nephew who actually died in 2016 after a battle with um, addiction. And for me, when I saw that, it really hit home like even harder I think it was there was a reason why Michael Keaton did that role took that role and why he was so good at it and just goes to show how wide-ranging how awful this crisis was it impacted so many people in the US. Unbelievable any social democrats in this uh series? The miners I guess I'm I'm assuming but that's about it. They've got a union definitely. Definitely not uh, the pharmaceutical companies, definitely not the Sackler family. Um, so, yeah, just the minus, unless you spotted any. Well, there were a couple of, uh, I mean, it does, the storyline does every now and then weave into politics as well. And there are a couple of um, Democratic politicians and Republican politicians mm. that leave themselves in great light courting you know big pharma and campaign donations and, and and the like as well so like i said not a lot of hope in this in this year. no so if you're listening to this on your summer holiday uh skip to the end if you want to listen to more if you want to recommendations on more um sort of 
lightweight television. Indeed. We are, uh, we do end on a high note, so that's the important thing. <laughs> or a fun note. Okay, are we, any other thoughts on uh, Dope Sick before we move on? No, watch it. Everyone watch it. It's great. Very good. Good job. All right. Now we're going to talk about The Dropout, which is another sort of docudrama series, is that what you'd call it maybe, um, which is focusing, it's, I guess it's an American crime drama miniseries that was created by Elizabeth Merriweather, who we will remember her from producing uh, New Girl with Zoe Deschanel. Uh, and it's based on a podcast series of the same name, which was hosted by a woman by the name of a journalist by the name of Rebecca Jarvis, um, and was produced by the ABC News in the United States. And the series documents the disgraced biotech company Theranos and its founder Elizabeth Holmes, which was played by Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried, is that right, Tess? I think it's Seyfried. Seyfried, who we will recall, you will recall from Mean Girls, Mamma Mia, and one of the greatest films of all time, Ted Two. What? <laughs> This is news to me. Oh, uh, only bettered by Ted. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, it's eight 55-minute episodes and it was on Hulu in the United States and Disney Plus here in Australia. And the central plot uh, basically touches on the, the – the, it's a line, it basically is a linear journey of Elizabeth Holmes, who was the founder of Theranos, um, and we sort of go from her preteens all the way through to her exposure as a fraud, um, and we kind of get to see what the motivations are in her terms of her character arc that led her to the conclusion of of what happened. Basically, a backstory for those that don't know who Elizabeth Holmes is: she studied uh, at uh, Stanford University in Palo Alto, in California. Dropped out in her sophomore year. Uh, and used her tuition money to found a health technology company called Theranos when she was about 19. And Theranos was basically a company that had a solution that claimed that it, it could get blood tests uh, that required just a, 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 like a pin drop, not a vial, but a pin drop of blood, and that could be performed rapidly and accurately, and you could do it at, at home. And it was using this compact sort of automated device, which the company had developed. And then from that blood sample, it could then diagnose a whole bunch of different health problems and then know how to treat them. And then so those blood drops, those samples would then go to doctors and into labs like, you know, to Dorovich in Australia uh, and um, prescribe how to deal with it. And ranging from things like cancer to a whole bunch of other things. So you know, serious sort of health implications that it needed to work. Um, so Theranos raised more than $700 million from venture capitalists and private investors, and it resulted in $10 billion uh, being – the company was valued at $10 billion at its peak in around 2013, 2014. And at the height of her career, uh, Elizabeth Holmes was, you know, on the front cover of Forbes magazine. She was recognised as the world's youngest self-made uh, female billionaire. It was ranked 110 in Forbes, 400, top 400 in 2014. You know, she – um, they got contracts with uh, major health uh, clinics like Cleveland Clinic, Capital Blue Cross, AmeriHealth Ameri and Caritas, um, were all using the Theranos technology. Uh, and then things started to take a twist because the tests on the products weren't working and it needed, once again, a bit like uh, your TV series you just spoke about, tests. it needed FDA approval. Someone really needs to have a good chat about the FDA and their, their safeguards. Um so the measures they went, you sort of get to see the measures they went to to avoid having these tests vetted, uh, but trying to get the product to market. 
which it did go to market. A lot of people put a lot of money into it and then people started to sniff around. Then the Wall Street Journal started to investigate the company, which led to them finding whistleblowers and the whistleblowers blew the whistles. The articles went out and then it slowly started to unravel and that's kind of the, 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 the linear of the story. Um, were you aware of this uh, story of Elizabeth Holmes' test before you started sitting down to watch um, the dropout? Yes. So it's kind of the reverse for me with Dope Sick. I had, there's a book, I'd read the book, and I had listened to the podcast. So I was well across all the details of this, um, but loved to see it come to life. Um, it was, I remember reading Bad Blood, the book, and just, it was a page turner. I think I stayed up almost all night to read it. I was like, how did this happen? It's funny. Well, then I'm the opposite. Just like you with the first series, I didn't know anything about Elizabeth Holmes. I remember being uh, somewhere with friends and they were talking about this person, Elizabeth Holmes, we're at a bar or something. And I just didn't tune into this conversation at all. I kind of did, but it sort of didn't, for some reason, it just didn't catch my attention. Maybe I was distracted. Uh, and it was only when someone sat me down and said, you need to watch this. This is super interesting. I was like, oh, I think I heard you talking about that. Okay, we'll give it a go. And you're right. Whilst I didn't read the book, it was a if it, it was a series version of a page turner. Mm. At the end of every episode, I wanted to watch the next one. Like I could have knocked this off in a night. You know what I mean? Like I was, um, I was gripped. Yeah, it had great pace. It did had a great pace. Let me talk to you about the characters. So Amanda Seyfried, Seyfried, did I get we're going right? to get it wrong the whole way through. So yeah, let's just let's just call her Amanda. Amanda, good job, Amanda. She plays Elizabeth Holmes, who's the CEO of Theranos. Um, a very, uh, driven individual. Um, you know, she started modeling herself on Apple's Steve Jobs. She started wearing black skivvies and sort of black, um, sports or black jackets and the whole sort of shebang. Uh, apparently she changed her voice so to a lower baritone at some point to appear. So she didn't appear to be so young. So people would take her seriously in her own mind. She sort of only drank juice, had a kind of weird kind of vibe going on there. I'll talk more about her in a moment. Um, uh, Naveen Andrews from Lost played uh, Sonny Balwani, who was the COO, who uh, Elizabeth Holmes meets when she's like 17. So she's not even in – she's still in high school and she meets at like a, a language um, immersion program in China. Uh, and that sort of relationship leads into – becomes a, a friendship that sort of turns into sort of like a mentorship and then a lover and then a partner and then he becomes the CEO of the company and then the sort of chief head kicker, um, which is awkward in itself. Um, there's a lot of characters and I've only picked out a couple. Like It's a huge cast. Like it is actually a huge cast. But the other ones I wanted to sort of name check was uh, William H. Macy, who basically can't do anything wrong in, in anything that he ever – any role he plays. He plays Richard Fruits, who was an inventor at a – and uh, a, a pattern guy, I guess, who basically got the shits with her and just like a dog on a bone just chased her down because he just didn't, I think he kind of cracked the shits with her parents for some reason. They were neighbours or friends. Um, and he spent most of his years trying to prove that she was a fraud. Stephen Fry plays Ian Gibbons, who's the chief scientist at Theranos, who dedicated his work and life uh, to science and then gets a job at Theranos as the chief scientist there, but then he starts to question the ethics of the work that he was involved in. And once he does it, he sort of gets sidelined. Um, Eben Moss uh, uh, Backrack, who was Desi in Girls, 
which was the first time I ever came across him. I thought it was a, his character was hysterical in that show. It was also in um, Andor and a show that seems to be everyone loves is The Bear, which I only watched two episodes of and I can't do any more of it. Um, he plays the Wall Street journalist, uh, John uh, Carreroo. So, but there's heaps of other, uh, there's like, there's so many other characters in it. Is there any other characters that you kind of wanted to sort of lift up that I may have glossed over that you think was worthy of a mention as well? No, they're the standout ones. Okay. I don't think I knew. Is Stephen Fry like a long-term actor? In it? No, yeah, like he just seems to be popping up everywhere at the moment and I didn't think he really acted that often anymore. Don't know. That's a good question. I kind of find him reasonably constant. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but great. Anyway, he was great. He was good in yeah. it. Yeah. So strengths of the series for me um, – I found that I found that the the narrative and the pacing of it incredibly excellent. It was only eight episodes. I ripped, as I said, I ripped through them so quickly. Every episode left me wanting more. Um, another strength of the series really is uh, Amanda's performance or portrayal of Elizabeth Holmes. And I've gone back on YouTube and watched Elizabeth Holmes do interviews, and the voicing and the the, the idiosyncrasies that Amanda sort of nailed. It's not a it's a portrayal. It's not a imitation or, a, you know, mimicry, but it's just done so well. Um, her character is addictive, like the sort of the shift in power in her story. It, you know, she goes from sort of being an underdog to a top dog, you know. She's um, – people doubt her to then she's in this sort of – she's now in the Forbes top 400, you know. One moment she's sleeping in the warehouse that she's bought to that's going to house her major company – because she's got nowhere else to stay, to then, you know, she's now setting up this shop that, you know, would make, looks like Google, you know. Um, you know, she has a terrible, unfortunate moment in college where she's sexually assaulted, um, which is, you know, th- th- that is where she, you know, in a moment where she has no power to then later on she is all-powerful. Um, she has no friends in the early part of her story, but then all of a sudden she's hanging out with some of the most powerful people in both business and politics, you know. Um, she's a fraud, but she believes in what she's trying to achieve. You know, she talks about how she wants to democratize healthcare. And, you know, we all know about how shit healthcare is in the United States. That sounds like a really noble thing to do. Um, so you kind of kind of want her to succeed until the moment you don't. And I thought that Vulture in their review of the series best described her character in, in that she's cruel and unthinking, driven, insecure, desperate, utterly self-interested, focused, She's also a hilariously basic white kid with her iPod cranked up to 100, singing songs primarily drawn from Apple ads and punching the air in frustration and triumph. And for me, that really sums uh, sums her up. I want to get your thoughts, Tess. Yeah, that's a great description. But it's interesting that you said that you think she believes in what she's trying to achieve because I just think she's batshit crazy and, like, there is no like goodwill there at all like she knows exactly what she's doing and I didn't find her genuine in I didn't feel any emotion for her in any capacity like I didn't feel sorry for her even sort of diving in and seeing some of her backstory I just was still just thought this woman is on another level and where there's no understanding to it whatsoever, whatsoever. It just, it didn't answer any of my questions, which is fine because the book didn't either. I don't know. I, maybe because I saw the film and didn't read the book. 
uh, at the mm. start, I, you know, I had a suspicion about where it went. I, I'd been told that Theranos was, you know, it, in the end it was a fraud. And, and at the time of me watching it, it was still going through the courts. Um, at the start of the year when it came out, came out in March, April this, uh, uh, 2022. But there were moments of vulnerability of her. I just kind of thought you were a bit of, you, she was a bit of a dork, you know, and she really wanted to succeed. She was very, very driven I, and I got that. But there was a moment where I thought there was, it just, there was a tipping point where it went from being I want to succeed and I want to do good in the world to it's now a fraud. But I kind of thought that there, isn't there, wasn't there a bit of a debate at the time um, when the Wall Street Journal article were first broke that people were, because a lot of people, you know, talk about social Democrats, she was interviewed by um, Bill Clinton and the Clinton Foundation as, and held up yeah. as, a, as, you know, a lot uh, um um, someone to look up to. Uh, uh, Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton um, had a fundraiser with her because in 2016, you know, there's a glass ceiling she wants to break. And here's an example of a woman, you know, an entrepreneur, a billionaire getting into this boys club and, you know, kicking ass. Um, so, you know, she surrounded herself with a lot of people that thought that held her up as a great example to the rest of us. And I just thought that there was that moment where it just tipped and everyone went, oh, hang on a minute. You're a fraud. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I just. Uh, I. I, th- I found that interesting in the storyline itself. Yeah, it just. It. I never got over the fact that she just dug in, you know, and didn't say, "I'm sorry, this is awful." As far as I know, I don't think she ever really apologized. Well, the deposition. Um, she might have. I don't want to be sued, but. Well, I mean, the deposition <laughs> tapes that they use, and if you go onto YouTube and watch the actual deposition tapes of Elizabeth Holmes, and then compare it to the Amanda portrayal it's amazing to watch it's almost like for like same clothes the hair is a bit messy the mannerisms it's amazing performance i don't understand how amanda managed to keep her jaw because obviously the voice is like a you know it's really from the back of the throat and she's got to keep her jaw in a particular spot like she must have had really bad headaches because she did it so well she was perfect yeah incredible performance and not to take anything away from a lot of the other characters as well, uh, like Alan Ruck, who we remember from um, Ferris Bill's Day Off. He's in it, almost a comical kind of like she th- he thinks she's amazing and he works for Walgreens and he's just so desperate to get Walgreens to buy in. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. There's so many great characters in there, but, geez, it's just built on her performance. Like she is the, she is yeah. the Titanic. She is so mesmerising in it and you want to watch it just to look at her. And her just her eyes and the way she displays emotion is incredible. The scene when uh, she is practicing trying to do a new voice. Oh my god, I find her. I find it so embarrassing. I it's, it's hard to watch. Yeah. Right. It, sometimes I had to cover my face. Yeah, it's really bad. The interview when she did an interview with NBC News, uh, when one of her factories gets shut down by the FDA. Mm-hmm. And it's a really hard-hitting interview and her she's just not prepped. And the answers are just there. The interview's a trade wreck. And I, I'm just watching it going, just shut up. And actually, they actually have her lawyer, her kind of chief counsel and someone else mm-hmm. sitting in another room watching it just, just doing, just horrified about how badly she handled this interview. Just tone-deaf <laughs> answers. People, people, people may have died. This is a significant health risk. What checks did you have in place? And she's just giving this stonewall tone deaf, cold answers. Unbelievable. Do you think we secretly like tech people to fail? Because so much of it is driven on ego. I watched, 
I probably wouldn't recommend it, but I watched Super Pumped as well this year, which is about the um, Uber founder. And I was like, you just, you feel like you're rooting for them to fail at the beginning. There's so many fraud tech uh, <laughs> uh, series that came out this year. The WeWork, which is called We Crashed. Yes. I couldn't finish that one. It was amazing, but I, I, just, couldn't fi- I just couldn't finish it. I was getting overwhelmed with, you know, this whole you know, tech, it's all cool. It's all, you know, parties and, you know, particularly in America. And I've got some friends that work in this sort of, you know, startup kind of industry. So there's there's a formula to it. Their offices are really open and edgy and cool and people ride around on, on blades and, you know, and they have these parties where they go to, you know, frigging Cancun or Hong Kong or, some tropical island in the South Pacific, you know, and all the staff go there, but they all get absolutely rat ass drunk. And I'm sure there is a whole bunch of OHS issues and sexual harassment claims just waiting to happen. It's the, the it's driven by people who are just got more front than David Jones slash John Martin's. Uh, you know, it's it's all of that, right? And it, I just watch it, and it's just cringy, you know. It's so cringy. Like, don't people just want stable jobs? And to be paid well. Well, I mean, even speaking as a... And not to have to invent something that they can sell um, somewhere in San Francisco, if that is even the epicentre of the tech world anymore. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, it is. The, I mean, that's what it is, right, isn't it? It's just They're, they're just so confident. And I just... I, 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 there's something in me that I just find it triggering. And I just go, oh, I don't want to hang around with you people. I wonder what Americans think about it. Because, you know, the Australians and Americans are quite mm. different. There is... Americans are really proud about sort of their personal journey, their work, how they got there, whereas Australians very much so, you know, tall poppy syndrome, oh, yeah. you know, the self-deprecating and we don't talk about our achievements yeah. at all, otherwise we will shoot you down. So I wonder whether Americans look at this in the same way we do, where it's just like, Ooh. it's a It's a fascinating question. I know if an Australian went for a job interview in the United States, they, you know, it, it would be hard to employ them because they'd say, you know, what are your greatest strengths? And the Australian would be like, oh, you know, really? You want me to talk about that? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I can walk fast. Um, let's, uh, let's, um, weaknesses. I, I couldn't really think of any weaknesses. I'm actually, I was keen to get your thoughts on what the weaknesses are. The only, one, the only weakness I could come up with is the sex scene with, uh, Amanda, uh, Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani. Like there's a 20 year age gap and that was kind of gross. And I just don't think I could deal with that. I just wish they kind of just cut away with it. And the narrator sort of stepped out and said, and then they had sex, but we're not going to show you. But just for the purpose of the plot development, you need to know that they're in a relationship now. Other than that, I think we had to see that scene to just show how far this relationship, how intertwined they were, like Sonny and um, Elizabeth, that it was actually a very personal and deep relationship. I had no idea that Sonny was played by the guy from Lost. Yeah. No yeah. idea. I was like, what? He looks so different. Do you think that he groomed her? No, I didn't get that. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't think so. I mean, she was young, but she was, what, when they met, she was 19, 20. She wasn't like. I think they, I think they met 15. when she was 17. She was still in high school. Oh, okay. Yeah, righto. Maybe. Mm. It's a bit young. Mm. I think she claimed that, but maybe that was to get out of taking any sort of responsibility. Yeah, yeah the, the, the breakdown in that relationship and the scenes in that are pretty yeah. full on as well. Um, 
Very yeah, bad. very bad. So bad. Um, other bits that I wanted to mention, the soundtrack uh, is great because it's in the uh, mm-hmm. the early noughties, uh, really good Indian pop stuff, uh, Len, Steal My Sunshine tune, Feist, one, two, three, four, which obviously was used in the Apple thing, and I think they were doing that as a bit of a sort of a sort of piss-take homage. Miss Yellett, we run this. Uh, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, Y Control, love that song, plus so much other sort of pop stuff. It was really, really cool. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes went to her high school that she went to was St. John's Prep in Houston, Texas. People who are into film will know that that was the location of where Wes Anderson shot Rushmore. And Kate McKinnon from SNL, formerly of SNL, uh, originally was cast as Elizabeth Holmes and then withdrew. So, Wow. She would have been good at that, but maybe didn't, maybe not enough depth. I don't know. Kate does have the look. Have you seen her really nail a serious role yet? She's been getting kind of like, you mm. know, quirky parts in comedy style. Still very comedic, although some would say that Elizabeth Holmes yeah. is sort of like a comedic performance. You, cannot, you don't even way. laugh. Um, the only, there's a heap of old lines in there. I won't go. The one I did like is when she was trying to convince her lecturer at Stanford to invest in the whole idea and the lecturer was like going, that's just, I've been studying this, you know, biochemistry stuff for 40 years and that shit's just not going to work and just tells her to piss off and, you know, you're 19 years of age, just go get your degree. And she says, to her, do or do not, there is no try. And she kind of looks at her and then she says, that's Yoda and then walks out. And that kind of speaks to the the um, the, the, the type of person that Elizabeth Holmes is. Um, Social Democrats in the show, just a part, as I said before, passing, passing mention to the Social Democrats that were taken in by Elizabeth Holmes, including President Obama, um, President Clinton, Secretary Clinton, and even former Senator, now President uh, Joe Biden, all rated her at the time. Such was her rising star before it all came tumbling down. So I recommend please go if you have not seen the dropout it's on uh disney plus in australia hulu in the united states go check it out all right now let's lift it up a bit you're going to do a film tess we are going to do a Take film it away. i'm so excited about this because i will talk about this movie to anyone who'll listen and people who won't listen so this is probably going to be a quick one because there's not too much character development in this film But uh, let's dive into Top Gun Maverick. So Top Gun Maverick is the sequel to Top Gun, the classic film from 1986, and it is the second instalment in the Top Gun film series. So in this film, the sequel, Maverick, which is played by Tom Cruise, um, there's a little blurb I've got, confronts his past while training a group of younger Top Gun graduates, including the son of his deceased best friend, for a dangerous mission. So for anyone who has been living under a rock for several decades, Top Gun is like the nickname for what they call like the US Navy like fighter planes program. So if you're a young person and you want to be in the Navy, you want to fly those really fast fighter planes um, and save the world, then you have to be in the Top Gun program. You can... Watch it, I found out today, from December 22 on Paramount+. Plus. But as of today, the 30th of November, you can actually still go see it in the cinemas because the movie is that good. It's It's been the biggest movie of the year. It's the highest grossing movie of the year and it's been it was released in like April or May and it's still in the cinemas. 
You can go to the IMAX in Melbourne to go see it this evening. If you That's remarkable. It. Actually, going and seeing IMAX would actually be fantastic. I've only seen one film in IMAX and it was actually the last James Bond film. It's the first time I've ever been in there and that was incredible. And I reckon um, I'd probably get vertigo in um, going with the, the, you know, the canyon runs and stuff with the, with the aircraft. That would be fantastic to see in IMAX. Sorry, continue. I will. So normally we'll run through the plot, but honestly... <laughs> Uh, it's Top Gun, the sequel. Uh, who even knows what the plot is or cares? But in on a very basic level, Tom Cruise is a washed-up has-been fighter pilot. Um, he has been put somewhere in the Navy to rot, essentially, and he doesn't want to listen to his seniors in the Navy. Um, he's not working on anything important. He's been put out to dry. But then the new young Top Guns in this new fighter pilot program, the Young Guns, uh, they have to do a really, really hard top secret mission trying to get down into a cave and then back out at a really sharp angle. And there is no one else in the whole of the US military and the Navy who knows how to get a plane in and out of that specific, in that specific angle. And so Tom Cruise is enlisted to come back to Top Gun and train them. There are highs, there are lows. This is a proper action film um, and the plot is redundant. They're all the same. Um, (laughs) But the key sort of, I guess, emotional storyline is that from the first film, um, in the first film, Tom Cruise's uh, best mate, um, who was also like a fighter pilot, Goose, was in it. Um, I don't, I'm not going to spoil what happens in the first one in case anyone hasn't seen it. But in the as the new young guns come through, Goose's son, Rooster, is is in one of the new pilots and he's one of the best pilots um, in, in the program. So, yeah, it's an action film. Don't worry too much about the plot, but you've got Tom Cruise as Pete Maverick Mitchell. He's the main man. And it, this sequel takes place like 30 years after he graduated from Top Gun. Val Kilmer is in it, which is actually really amazing because did you know Val Kilmer is really sick? He has um, throat cancer. There's a doc- really good documentary I about did. it. He's in it as Iceman. So in the original Top Gun, Iceman was Tom Cruise's like enemy of, and they become friends at the end after a challenging sort of mission. Um, but, they're, but they're both like fighter pilots. And then Miles Teller plays Rooster, who's Goose's son, Jennifer Connelly is Penny Benjamin, Maverick's love interest. Um, she's great. She's beautiful. She doesn't really serve too much purpose, I don't think. <laughs> but she's, she's, it's nice. They've got some sweet moments. And then Glenn Powell is one of the younger um, sort of Top Gun students. He's Hangman and he's Rooster's, the one that Rooster doesn't get along with in, in the program. So it's kind of like mirroring, mirroring Maverick and Iceman's sort of original um, conflict in the first film. There are some good cameos from like Ed Harris and John Hamm as well. Um, but all around, it's just a top film. It is such a great action film. Um, and I hate to sound like Harry Styles, but this is a real movie, you know, like it's just... People want to go to the movies to see something like this. It has nostalgia, action. It's got a love story, themes and morals. Um, and, yeah, I cried at the end. <laughs> did, you cry? did you cry at the end, Stephen? Uh I think – I know I definitely cried in the scene when Maverick goes and sees – goes and visits 
Iceman. Mm-hmm. That was emotional. Yeah, that was very emotional. I just, the best thing that I liked about this film was anyone could go see it. You know, my mates, my partner, my sisters, like everyone loved it. I didn't know anyone who didn't like it. Um, but I'd be happy to have someone challenge me from the sort of um, socially democratic listener audience if they want to. There's an argument there, and one of my good friends who does listen to the show um, overseas, one of our overseas listeners, has made the argument that Top Gun Maverick saved Hollywood this year. It really did. I can't think of another, well, I can't think of another movie that I liked as much for starters, but also I felt like this year the only thing that was out were like Thor and the Minions movie and then just Top Gun all year. (laughs) So um, I'm sure it did save Hollywood. It is back in business and that is because of Tom Mm. Cruise. He's the last of the great actors. He, he really is. And I know that everyone, because he's in, the, he's in that freaky dicky church of Scientology and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, notwithstanding that, and it's probably, it, there would have been a period there and maybe it still is. It's not cool to say you like Tom Cruise, but I just think he's, I think Tom Cruise just nails it. Like the Mission Impossible series is fantastic in those. He was fucking amazing in this one as well. Like it just, he, uh, he you're right. He's one of the last big, actors and yeah he just properly and they did all the stuff they actually flew the planes um because he's nuts yeah he's crazy it took them a really long time to film this film i think because of covid but also because it was just so complicated and the visuals are really good you know it's not some sort of crappy cgi it just looks so amazing and it's you know i've yeah, it had a lot of suspense in it and the music was great. Um, so the beginning, right from the beginning, it flashes like the original opening series and you're just like, yeah, we're on here. Like, it's so good. And there's like Danger Zone and then Great Balls of Fire, so much good music. And then Lady Gaga did a soppy romance song called Hold My Hand um, for the new release. And they played that at the end of the credits, which is maybe why I cried. But um, <laughs> it was really, really good. Did you... Did you think the movie had any weaknesses? Uh, the the scene when Maverick first comes back to Top Gun and he goes to that bar on the waterfront and he gets caught on his mobile phone or whatever, some rule, uh, uh, and he has to shout the bar and slowly all of the new class of Top Gun pilots arrive and they're playing pool around the table. It was so corny, you know, like and they were trying to reenact the – you know, they basically went back and looked at Top Gun and said, what were the highlights of Top Gun that made it such a good film? Mm-hmm. Let's do that again, but do it in a modern take, right? Uh, it was so corny that it, it just was so cheesy, but it was so cheesy that I went, oh, they're deliberately, I think they're trying to deliberately make it cheesy. It was so cheesy. Their teeth were so white. Their skin was so tanned. Like it just looked like it looked fake. But, and every, and the, you know, the, the pilots, obviously it's very modern. It's all far more progressive. Mm. There's diversity in the pilots, uh, women, people of colour, all that kind of stuff. Not got a problem with that. But I just found the kind of the dialogue between it all was kind of like, oh, God. I didn't hate it, but I just kind of was like, oh, I hope this doesn't hold up all the way through because that's just going to make me nauseous. Um, So that was one of the bits I didn't like. I was surprised by it kind of had a false summit on three occasions. Just when I thought it was about to end, it didn't. And that was... That's why it's so good. I was like, oh, really going to do that? 
Oh, I loved it. Um, so I was kind of like that, but then I kind of thought, Stephen, just give into it because it's 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 America, fuck yeah. So just ex- accept that's what it is. Yes, that's you just have to accept it for it is. Release all the tension in your body, just relax and just escape away to some. It was really cheesy, but um, I thought there were some genuine moments in it too and I just accepted it for what it was. And I think after the last two years in COVID and, you know, it was a nice time to just release a big blockbuster and for everyone just to suspend reality for a minute. It's also an interesting experience similar to for folks who grew up with like Star Wars or whatever. I was 11 when Top Gun came out. Uh, mm. I think I saw it in the cinema on the Fair Star uh, when my family went on a cruise trip around the, um, the South Pacific. And I remember coming out of that cinema and I was just, I just loved it. But I was 11 years of age. Of course you loved you know fighter aircraft and you know pilots and all that kind of stuff so watching it as a 47 year old it's the, the next one it's a kind of different experience but i still loved it right you sort of had to say just just the kid in you just has to come out and go right let's just enjoy this ride literally um and i did i thought it was a great film did you go back and rewatch the first one uh no i didn't only because i've probably seen top gun at least 400 times and i <laughs> don't need to i can just do it in my head like it was so top gun in high school was so big like think about this um yeah so it came out in 1986 i still had mates in like year 11 year 12 so this is 94 92 three, four, would just still be quoting top gun and would act out scenes in top gun in class and it was still ever present like it just became so big you know um i could actually really go into some quite nuanced things that some of my friends used to do in class that were scenes from <laughs> Top Gun. And, like, you know, they, they would answer questions from the maths teacher, poor old Mrs. Putaseri, and they would give, like, you know, Top Gun lines, like, I was inverted, that kind of stuff, and she wouldn't even know what the hell they were talking about. But they thought it was brilliant. So clearly Top Gun was important in our lives. And then, obviously, this has come out, and I was worried that it was going to sully the greatness mm. of the original, you know? Um, I've never seen Blues Brothers 2 because I heard right. it's shit and I don't, just don't want to ruin the original. I've never seen Anchorman 2 because I heard it was garbage, right? Um, and I was worried this was going to do the same, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. And then, you know, we always talk about what are what sequels were better than the original. I won't say that I'm interested in your thoughts on this. I don't think it's better than the original, but it did the original a great service. Yeah, it was different. It just complemented it. You know, and that's not easy. It's not easy at all. I think they pulled off a miracle there. Were there any social democrats? In it? <laughs> no, no, no. But there was a female fighter pilot this time yes, around, and which, which is some good progress. Yeah, I hope she votes for the Democratic Party in a you know and is a registered Democrat in the United States. That's yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> Very good. Well done. Okay, so that's uh, us talking uh, the three that you should go and watch. Let's uh, test what uh, other fil- films or TV shows do you recommend folks to go check out um, over the summer? I have a few because I've watched so much TV this year. Um, Bad Sisters, which you haven't watched, no. have you? Bad Sisters is on Apple TV. It's about five Irish sisters. It's set in Ireland. The series starts. One of the sisters' husbands husband is dead. He's just died. They're at the wake. And 
it's a dark comedy just discovering how he died. And it turns out to be a little bit suspicious. It's a dark comedy. It's not, um, I would describe it as like flea bag mixed with broad church. It's got a weird vibe to it, but it is very funny. Do you know who Sharon Horgan is? D- Nine doesn't ring a bell. She's an amazing Irish sort of actor, producer. She can do everything. She's in this great show called Catastrophe. Um, that's a hard recommend for me. It is very funny. Um, but because you've got that, how did this guy die? You've got sort of good pace to keep you wanting to watch. Um, at the beginning of this year, I watched Love Me, which is on Binge. It's an Aussie show with Hugo Weaving about love and grief after his wife dies. It's a really nice story. It's set in Melbourne and it explores his relationships with his kids as well. I am currently watching the second season of White Lotus, which is on binge, and I think it's better than season one. Have you started watching it yet? Not yet, no. It's going to be uh, the um, – I'm going overseas soon and it's going to be my flight show. Yeah, perfect. I am immediately drawn um, and it's amazing. Jennifer Coolidge is the only one back for the second season. Where is it set? And Sicily, mm. and I love it. The Italian perspective, the Italian-Americans in Italy, whole shebang is absolutely hilarious. I'm, I really love it. It's great. I'll watch the end of this one too, and then if we review it, I'll be sure to know. <laughs> yes, we'll come back next year and yeah, watch yeah, the whole yeah. thing. All right. And then another really good movie is Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which is a film, and so you probably have to rent it somewhere. Um not an actual shop, but like I mean, rented on your streaming service like Apple. I don't think that's um, rent anymore, Tess. So I think that would be uh, video easy. No, no. Uh, Emma Thompson stars as a woman who hires a sex worker for the first time following the death of her husband. And it's all set in one hotel room, the whole film. And it's really good. I'd get claustrophobia with that. But you don't. It's amazing. It's very captivating. I loved it. Emma Thompson is a gem. I think she's already a dame, but um, give her all the awards. It's really good. Um, what I will watch when I'm sort of, you know, those days that get lost in the vortex between Christmas and New Year's, I've got The Crown Season 5 to watch on Netflix and Yellowstone Season 5 to watch on Netflix. What about you? Uh, I've just started watching The Crown. Um, I have just finished watching Andor the Star Wars series, which kind of follows the character Cassius, I can't remember his surname, who is in one of the characters in Rogue One. So it's the prequel to Rogue One. Uh, I, I enjoyed that immensely. A lot of people are noticed on Twitter and that social media, people saying this is the best series of the year. I really enjoyed wow. it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, but I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't go as far as saying that and I'm a Star Wars nerd and I really enjoyed it because I think some of the series that I've been doing recently have kind of been some have been hit some have been missed mm-hmm. um like met the first Mandalorian was, season was great second one was like meh um Obi-Wan w- had big expectations but I was kind of like meh but I thought Andor was great but um oh, yeah anyway um and I watched Enter the Dragon or the House of the Dragon or whatever it's called, the newest version of the HBO, the prequels to Game of Thrones. I thought it was... Oh, is that good? I heard that was terrible. I hated it. hated it. Didn't care. Yeah. Stupid. Dumb. Go away. (laughs) Just didn't care. Just didn't care. Didn't care. Yeah. Uh, To Targaryens. Um, And uh, Inventing Anna. 
Yes. Speaking of, you know, shows that are about scabs. This year has been the year of the scammer. Like the dropout, inventing Anna. There was this one, the Tinder swindler guy. That was really creepy and that was real. That was a documentary. That wasn't even fiction. Um, yeah, these all these crazy stories. Inventing Anna was amazing. That's on Netflix. That was great. That was amazing. And so much so when I was in New York, she had just been released and... I uh, was living in the West Village and I kind of wanted to go hang Can out. Go see her? I wanted to kind of hang out in the West Village and see how I got to run into her. I don't have time for you. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, brilliant. What t- great television. Actually, that's actually that's what you need to watch after. You yeah. Watch, if you watch Dope Sick, then jump onto Inventing Anna because it's, it's, it's not a comedy, but it's a comedy because you have to laugh. Yeah. And the, it's produced by Shonda Rhimes, who did Grey's Anatomy and Scandal. It's got a lot of those actors from those shows. It's 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 a scammer show, but it's kept pretty light yeah. and the pace is great. Yeah. And it is very funny. Indeed. That's a good summer watch. Great summer watch. Tess Farrell, wonderful to have you back on the show again for our annual uh, season recap. Um, and uh, even though it is... The, even though it is November 30, I hope you had a great Christmas and I hope you had a great New Year and um, we wish you the best of luck going into uh, 2023 with all of your endeavours. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been really fun. Happy festive season to everyone and happy New Year. I hope 2023 is a great year. Hey there. Thanks for listening to Social Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And to get all the latest updates on Socially Democratic, follow Dunn Street on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday. Socially Democratic was brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers have spent more than a century paving the hard path to justice for everyday Australians. They've helped over 500,000 Australians turn their situation around and they know how the system works. Their experience and skills means you'll get the best results possible. Find out more on their website, morrisblackburn.com.au. Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on.